Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader at Niche. In this podcast, my goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look for the processes and the questions to spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. My guest today is Jenny Petty. Jenny is the Director of Enrollment Marketing at the University of Wyoming. Jenny started in the corporate world, working with some of the world's biggest brands, and as I learned in her podcast, The Servant Marketer, came up through the gaming industry as well. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, Will. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm going to start off here with two questions that I ask everybody. So first up here, what's something that you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? Such a good question. So as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about, you know, I, I started coming at it from this frame of reference of like, what have we done in the enrollment marketing world? What have we tried in tactics? There has been nothing that has failed that we have tried. And I don't mean that as like some sort of arrogant way. I just mean that every single thing we've done has resulted, if it didn't work the way we thought it would, it has resulted in the next iteration of something that worked better. But I think a deeper answer to this for me is following my intuition. I think every single time I have not followed that gut instinct, whether it is telling me to not do something or to do something, I have come to regret it or have learned some lesson about, you know, saying yes or saying no. And I think I've butted up against that so many times in my life that as I'm getting closer and closer to 40, I keep thinking, okay, that's that's the big lesson is that your intuition, that gut instinct really does mean something. And uh, trusting it and building the confidence to trust it is probably the biggest lesson I have learned in the last five years easily. And is your gut instinct always your first instinct? Or is it, do you take time to dwell on it a little bit and then come back? Maybe not dwell, but. I think most of the time it is that initial feeling. And sometimes it's such a flickering and it's, it happens so quickly that we don't really trust it. And it's not just regret. Like I ran, I ran a consulting company for a while on my own. And definitely there were those times when a new client would pop up and it would be like, oh, wow, this is like pretty easy money. And I would come from this place of fear of missing out. But there would also be this little little tingle that was like, this is going to be a disaster. Like there is something not right with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And every single time that worked, I, I, I had a really hard time saying no for a long time. But every single time I did not follow that gut instinct, it did not really usually end well. I also think it can go the reverse way. Um, so when I was looking at doing a master's program, I had always been aware of Gonzaga University. I had been interested in it. I looked at the program. I saw that they had servant leadership. I was like, oh, wow, it's amazing. And then I talked myself out of it. I talked myself into starting at another school. And again, like I did not follow that gut instinct, like to just go for where I felt really lit up. And so I think it can work both ways. I think it's not always telling you to not do something. Sometimes it's telling you to do something too. It sounds like a big part of this lesson is reframing failure and using your past experiences to help form this gut instinct. Was there any single thing you can point to that was sort of that turning point for you? So we moved from, I left the gaming industry in 20, the end of 2014. We moved our family to Wyoming, started working in higher ed. Um, It had been something my husband and I, we always wanted to get back. We were both raised in small ranching mining communities. We wanted to get back to have that experience for our kids. And so we moved to Wyoming and, you know, my master's studies is at a Jesuit institution and in the Jesuit teaching style, they, there's this concept of desolation versus consolation. And it's this idea that there are times in our life 
you know, for whatever reason, the universe is walking lockstep with us. Like things are just falling into place and they're working. Um, And then there's the idea of desolation, which I'm sure a lot of people right now are feeling where it feels like everything is going wrong and nothing is going right. And so everything pointed us to Wyoming. It was like, it was a total season of consolation for us in my husband and I. It was like just one step after another. And then we got here and we unloaded the moving truck and it was negative 25 degrees. And it was, I thought for sure we had made the biggest mistake of our lives. And it was a really tough season of my life. There were a couple of years there where I was really, um, I struggled with the move. I struggled with not, you know, being lonely and the, (laughs) sometimes the beauty, like you're saying of reframing something is like that season of loneliness gave me so much time to reflect on who I was, who I had been. I had been so busy when we left, we moved from Reno. And so I had been so busy. I had a big job. I had a side hustle. I had a lot of friends and, and it gave me that time to pause and reflect and say, well, hold on a second. Like how much of what you're doing is based on achievement versus like what you really think you should be doing. So I think that move um, and that that really tough season, which has then resulted in just a beautiful season for me in life of like finding higher ed and finding like purpose and passion and and this amazing community of people like it, it all worked out. But again, following that gut, not always easy, sometimes feels like a massive mistake. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it freezes you out. Mm-hmm. What are some practices that you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? I, over time, I have become less and less a fan of like the group brainstorming um, sessions. And I don't do a lot of those with my team anymore because I find that sometimes uh, you might have a person in the room who is overly dominant or you get group think going, or uh, I just, I feel like the more organic opportunities for brainstorming work better. And sometimes they come from an individual or sometimes they come from a small group of people who have been having maybe a casual conversation and then they bring it to the collective. And that's when the really powerful brainstorming starts. For me, (laughs) I have a bit of a race car brain and it's not always a good thing. I'm always looking for efficiencies and I have to train myself sometimes to recognize that not everything has to be super efficient. Sometimes we need to give ourselves that time to really get creative. The race car brain for me also is <laughs> challenging in that uh, I'm really bad with I'm really bad with self-care and I'm really bad with silence. And I know for me that my best ideas come when my brain is not in that mode. You know, some of my best ideas come sometimes when I'm like, you know, doing one of those monotonous activities, like driving to pick my kids up from school and I'm on autopilot and then it's like something clicks or probably anybody who's listening to this, who's like really great with self-care is going to hear this and think this is silly. But for me, reading is like meditation. (laughs) Um, It gives me a chance to like check out. Um, And so finding more and more of those opportunities to give my brain that time to, I guess, heal and let the subconscious take over is when I have my best, best ideas, but I'm not real great at facilitating that for myself. <laughs> I can see a theme here. The, the servant <laughs> leaders who put everyone else first and forget about themselves. <laughs> yes, there is that part of it, right? Yeah. You're right that I'm probably doing some self-processing through my project as well. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I, I like the idea of a race car brain. That's the first I had heard that, but 
it fits. I mean, <laughs> your mind's racing all the time and you're shifting lanes. And... Yeah, it's a good and a bad thing. Just like anybody, if you ask, you know, strengths and weaknesses, they're usually very closely tied together. And that's no mm-hmm. different for me. Well, jumping into the meat here, what are the traits and skills that can take a team from being effective marketers to strategic marketers and, and really leaders institutionally? If you don't have a strong foundation for your team of trust and honesty, and if you don't take the time to build those really strong relationships that allow people to have fun together, enjoy each other's company, collaborate, I don't think you can go past the stage of just being good practitioners. I think if you're really going to talk about being marketing leaders the foundational trust that you build as a team then spreads through the institution. So I think once you have that strong team and you start to build the reputation of being folks who are innovative and get stuff done and can be leaned upon, you set yourself up to be more relied upon from executive leadership when it comes to things like storytelling, positioning, being brought in earlier in the strategic process. And that probably sounds really simple, but I think like everybody, I think most people have worked on a team where you don't have that trust or you have somebody in a leadership position who struggles with the position. And it's really easy to have, you know, an individual completely take a team off the rails and it's hard to come back from that. That foundation for me is always the most important part of any team. The ideas of the trust and honesty that's necessary in the team, being able to collaborate, enjoy each other's company. How are you making that happen right now if if people may not have seen each other for months outside of a camera screen? Yeah, that's such a good question. It's it's not been easy. We I actually stole this idea from Carrie Phillips at Arkansas Tech. I do a, every Friday morning we do a pancake breakfast on Zoom. The idea is that um, we don't talk about work. It's not a staff meeting. It's not It's just a chance for us to enjoy each other again. Um, We have a very, very active Slack channel. Um, Our team has an amazing sense of humor. It's just hilarious. So I think that has kept us all going. You know, I I heard something the other day I was listening to. I was actually listening to Dak Shepard's podcast with Tom Brady. Tom Brady was talking about like, you know, he's been in football in the NFL for so long. Now he knows the people he would want in the trenches with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I feel going through this whole experience has been. It really has, I think, been make or break for a lot of teams. And for our team, it has been such a hard experience, but a bonding experience. And we've gotten to see each other in you know, a new way, a new, like far more humanistic way than before. You know, And I, um, we've all struggled with you know, mental health stuff during this time and, and anxiety and being burnt out. And um, I, I just think there's been a new level and depth of honesty among our team that has been fantastic. I guess what's the saying, like, you can't let a good crisis go to waste or something like that. <laughs> like, that's, I, I feel like my team, the folks I get to work with have just rallied over and over again. And part of that, I think is just because we've been really authentic with each other. It's strange that now with everyone being remote, I feel even more connected and even closer. Yeah, I think I definitely, there has been a depth to the way that I have gotten to know some of these folks that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. It's really important to have content strategy, right? So how do you engage with your faculty and your leadership in the process of building that strategy? I mean, you're working at, at a large institution. 
How do you get everyone on board with that? We go through these phases of buzzwords in marketing. I mean, a couple years ago, 10 years ago, it was the word viral. Mm-hmm. Then it was, you know, oh, we got to have video. I feel like the new buzzword is content. Everybody recognizes the importance of content, but even within marketing, I think we have a hard time of defining what like content strategy means. At UW, we have a really interesting setup in that we recently, in the last four or five years, we moved from kind of a decentralized model to a centralized model. So we have marketing specialists who uh, serve almost every single one of our colleges They actually sit on the enrollment marketing team, which is fantastic. And so what we're really trying to do is work through what content strategy looks like. I'm a big fan of like the hub and spoke models and building off of that and then pulling in our faculty and pulling in our leadership to support those different pieces of the uh, spoke. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, that's like my favorite. I'm a super nerd when it comes to things like that. So it's pulling in the faculty and the... um, the leadership when needed. It's also these marketing specialists are essentially like our people who are on the ground collecting our storytelling. So they're also great about being the ones to recognize when we might have something that could be built out into a larger piece of content. You know, when COVID was really uh, March, April, May, we did something that we had never done before. And we did this really collaborative storytelling effort on, we have a makerspace that's been making masks for folks in healthcare. And they've been doing that since March and their staff, students, and there's you know faculty who have jumped in to help. So we did something that we had never done before. And we did this multi-prong approach, what would have typically in the past just been a, a press release, we took and we created into like this multimedia experience of You know, we had a video that at the time we couldn't do any in-person video. So it was shot totally through Zoom. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did the press release, but then we also did a really robust social campaign. We did photography. We did this multi-prong approach that we had never done before. And that's something that I would love to continue doing more of. We have so many stories on college campuses and such amazing work that's happening. And sometimes the delivery... Uh, we fall a little bit short on how we deliver that content. You know, we might only put out a press release or we might only do like one social posting about something that could be a much larger piece. I will say we're, we're evolving. We're just constantly evolving the way that we're doing things. We're building our team out. So we finally have someone who's in a role to help with content strategy. And so it's this really fine balance of, wanting to do all the things immediately and trying to be very cognizant of the way that we approach content strategy. I want to ask you with the, with the faculty hub and spokes, do they have to be convinced or do you have a way of selling them on the idea that they get engaged, they get interested and they start coming to you with ideas? I think it depends on, on the faculty member. We certainly have those who are, I guess maybe more savvy with the way that storytelling and marketing and and branding work these days. I don't think we have faculty that are coming to us at this point. I guess I would say this. We're moving from a time of the department is doing a lot of education in terms of like, what does marketing mean? Five or six years ago, if you had asked me, because I came to UW almost six years ago, If you had asked me, you know, where we were at in terms of marketing, we were a good 15 years behind where we should have been. The marketing department really functioned as 
a brand shop. You know, they put out the magazine, they did social media, they had the website, but there wasn't a lot of strategic thought around, you know, what it meant to market a gigantic land grant university. So there's been a major shift internally on what that means. And that's been great, but I think we still have so much internal education to do in terms of what we can do for people. COVID has helped. (laughs) I can't believe I just said that, but COVID has helped us in a lot of ways because we have gotten to put that storytelling, the strategy, we've gotten to really display our portfolio of what we can do. That has helped in a lot of ways, but we are still building that foundation of what it means to have an institutional marketing department. I don't know if you do this, but something that we found really useful when I was at Manchester, the marketing team on every onboarding was involved in brand training. There was social media. uh, So we were connecting from the time someone was hired. And that did help get people involved in coming to us with ideas. They knew who to talk to. Not sure if that's something everyone else was already doing. Yeah, we don't currently do that at UW. Um, It's definitely something from a branding perspective we would love to do. We have done brand camp in the past where we bring people in and talk about, especially after we launched The World Needs More Cowboys, we we did a big brand camp. But, But what I love about working at the University of Wyoming is just how much building we have to do, how much uh, we get the chance to be really innovative. We do get a lot of freedom because I think nobody really knew what to expect out of a marketing department. Their expectations were really low. So we, <laughs> we've we had a chance to really shape it the way we wanted to. And, and the team has really taken that on. Yeah, because everyone, I'm sure, is coming in with their own ideas and, you know, you're the order takers or things like that. Exactly. Yeah. I I was lucky enough to see Terry Flannery speak last year at AMA. You know, she has a new book. I think it's coming out in the new year. And one of the key points was that marketing strategy is institutional strategy. And that hit home with me so closely because we we really a lot of the time do not get pulled in early enough on things and we do get treated like poster makers or video makers or mm-hmm. there's more focus on the product than the the fact that we do have all of this great data and knowledge about our audiences and we have these toolbox that is just full of amazing tactics we can pull out to do all sorts of different things and so yeah that's my personal soapbox right now important if they're doing great work but can't get the word out to anybody what what good is that going to do but if you bring marketing in from the beginning you can take something great and make it even better because people have access to it exactly well i'm seeing this theme all throughout even with the idea of, of hub and spoke where you have this this central core that's supporting everything else you know servant leadership it's it's a well-known term so what does it mean to be a servant marketer so That is the topic of my master's capstone project. So I'm finishing my master's in organizational leadership right now uh, with a concentration in servant leadership. Discovering servant leadership for me, I did not know it was a thing. Um, I was lucky enough to experience it, but I never had a name for it. I had kind of this light bulb moment last year. I was was on the Gonzaga campus for an immersion program, and it was this amazing three or four days with all these great people from across the country and amazing faculty. And I had this moment on the flight home where I started thinking like, how does this apply beyond just leadership? How does servant leadership, how does the idea and philosophy of servant leadership apply to like my everyday life? 
here I have this really purpose-driven career. And I would say everybody in higher ed who's doing marketing, everybody in higher ed is purpose-driven. How does that translate? And so that the seed was planted last fall and I sat on it for a year. I had a notebook with me on the flight home and I thought I want to do a podcast. And I mapped out like two seasons, like I just like people, like I just started writing people down that I wanted Mm -hmm. to have on this podcast. And then I didn't do anything with it. Like I, it just sat on my bookshelf. It sat in my head and I thought about it constantly, but I hit like this major creative block and I have not had this happen maybe ever. Um, I'm a pretty much like grip it and rip it kind of gal. You go with your gut. I go with my, well, right. I've gotten better at going with my (laughs) gut. I've gotten better with it. My life is not typically ruled by fear, but I was real afraid about this. And so that, that feeling was like, I knew there was something there. I knew I had to keep chasing it because uh, I don't typically feel that way. So I kept putting it off, right? Like I kept giving myself excuses like, oh, I just, it's not in the budget this month to buy my podcast equipment or, you know, whatever. Just like, I just kept coming up with excuses and I didn't talk to anybody about this except my husband, which also was like a clue to me that I was, there was something there. Finally, COVID hits, right? Like everything is just crazy town. It got to be like around June and I was like, you need something that is not COVID. You you know you want to do this as your capstone project. You've got to work on this. So I finally did it, like jumped in, got the equipment, started interviewing people. And that really, the podcast really is my qualitative research on what does it mean to be a servant marketer? I'm not super far into it yet. This is really the beginning stages. I hope to take it into a doctoral program, which is terrifying to even vocalize, but that is true. <laughs> so but, but now you're uh, on record saying it. So I know. It to be. Yeah, you could probably, <laughs> probably just edit that out. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm hoping to take it into a doctoral program. And I can tell you, like, right away, there are these 10 characteristics in servant uh, leadership. And they're everything from like empathy to listening to community building, foresight, strategy, things like that. And those are things that I think marketers are naturally, we do already. Uh, But I think it would be an oversimplification to just say, oh, marketers just need to be more empathetic. So what I'm doing right now is through these interviews and, and meeting people and talking this out is that I'm starting to see these themes emerging of what it means to be a servant marketer. And a couple of the themes that have come up quickly are things like commitment to truth. It's easy in marketing to spin. We're not a regulated industry. So it's not like, you know, I I know in the AMA ethics code, it says we should do no harm. And I'm not talking about- How do you define harm? Exactly. Exactly. So commitment to truth. The other huge one is the idea of representation. And that's kind of a twofold one. That is, what are we choosing to put in our creative How are we choosing to represent people in society? And then who is represented in our leadership? I had a great conversation the other day with a woman who was one of the only creative directors worldwide for a really long time for a major advertising agency. And to this day, I mean, she started her career in the 70s. But to this day, our representation in advertising agencies for creative directors still leans to white, older men. And so what are we missing out on when we don't have leadership that is diverse or inclusive? Those are two themes. I guess there would be one more theme that Liz Gross, after I talked to her, she did a really nice job of summarizing this on LinkedIn, but 
there's this idea of like the long game versus the short game. We've been moving towards this relationship model with marketing for a while, which is this idea that like our relationship with a customer or consumer doesn't end, you know, after they purchase a product. Like in the best case scenario, we have a a lifetime or, you know, a a long-term relationship with them. But I think it's rare to see that happen in practice. You know, people have been saying things like, Service over sales. It's almost a cliche at this point. But to see somebody actually do the work that takes to build that long game, that that relationship, and then seeing the results from that and seeing that you can take the long game, you can focus on building a relationship, you can focus on giving the consumer what they need and not what you want them to need, and you can still be profitable, I think is another big area that sets somebody who would be considered a servant marketer apart. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the initial. I mean, we're I'm really not that far into this, but that's where it's coming from. Like my whole purpose of doing this and the capstone is to define what it means to be a servant marketer. You say you're not that far in, and yet everything you're saying throughout here sounds like you've been living it for a long time. <laughs> well, I have, Will, in my head yeah. for a year. <laughs> in the race car brain. Yeah. Funny, yeah, funny story. I actually connected with one of my friends who's faculty this week because I was having this moment where I had entirely been living this way too much in my brain. And there are so many layers to it. Like, you know, you're right, servant leadership, that term has been around, it's been thrown around, it's turned, it's been turned into pop leadership you know, literature, like that's not new. And I was having this moment where I was just so in my brain about it. And so I talked to my friend who's faculty and she was like, uh, walking me through, like, you need to journal, you have to get this out of your head. And I was like, Oh, okay. There's like, this is normal. She's like, yeah, yeah. Everybody feels this way, but you got to get it out. I'm like, Oh, okay. Good to know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And discussing the idea with other people this week, and last week, I guess, time flies. I, I'm seeing three different sides to it. Maybe you can help me with this. Is a servant marketer someone who is service first to the client, whether that's internal or external? Is it someone who is service first to the consumer of the marketing? Is it someone who is service first and bringing other people into the field and helping them rise? Or is it a combination? Or are they all right? It's all right, which is the, that's where that's see, and that's where like my brain, like it's all right. And it's also, I think a servant marketer is also someone who adopts the style of servant leadership. So there's that piece as well. Are we, the work we're doing, is it serving society? Is it work we can be proud of? Is it work that the consumer needs and not what we want them to need? I've been in marketing close to 20 years and I have never been in a marketing conversation where we start the conversation by saying, what does the consumer need from us? It's always, here's what we need them to know. And I think that paradigm flip is something that is going to need to happen, especially as we, as we get ready to market more and more to Gen Z, knowing what Gen Z values is so closely aligned with the servant leadership characteristics. It blows my mind. Like this generation is so empathetic, so focused on the collective, way more introspective than like my zennial generation. <laughs> like they're different and we're going to need to adjust our approach. If I can be so bold, I think to be a servant marketer is just the right thing to do. I feel like we have to end on that. <laughs> that that's the line right there. <laughs> oh, well, thank you.
thank you. I, yeah, thank you. That's also just processing. You're helping me process all this because there's so much. I'm sure you feel this way too. I think the best thing of, of having a podcast is it gives you a a good excuse to talk to people you want to talk to anyway. Absolutely. (laughs) You don't have to have that that fear of, are they going to want to talk to me? And you know, it's been really an interesting lesson too, is to see the way that people say no to being a guest. Like even that, there's a lesson somewhere in there about like, because I've had people who say no in like this really beautiful, gracious way where they're like, hey, I'm not available, but here's, you know, a stack of resources that you should check out. Mm-hmm. Or there's the people who just never get back to you. Or there are people who are just like, yeah, no, like not interested. Even that is just <laughs> fascinating, you know, like it's just. That goes to very, very different personality styles, too. Yeah. I like the idea, though, of, of recommending other people, other resources. I think that yeah. means you're finding the servants. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like even the way we say no to people can be a way to serve them. Well, that's important too. I mean, you can't, if you're a servant leader, a servant marketer, a servant coworker, you can't always say yes. No. And I think that's one of the most misunderstood pieces of servant leadership. I think a lot of the time when people hear that, that term, they think, oh, doormat, like, oh, that's yes. just someone who's going to be walked on. Like they're not going to have, you know, And that's not really the case. Sometimes the way that we serve people is by saying no. Sometimes the way we serve them is by having to discipline them. It's, you know, it's it's fascinating. There's so many layers to this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you'll have at least one doctorate wrapped up in that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I know. It sounds so daunting at this point, but. Well, it it always is when you're at at the base of the mountain. Yeah, that's for sure. Right. Well, Jenny, I really, I really thank you for this. This was fantastic. Really enjoyed talking to you. If people want to follow up with you and, and have more conversations and connect, what are some good ways to do that? Well, this is going to sound silly. I am, I am Jenny Petty on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, uh, the Servant Marketer podcast can be found, I think almost everywhere now. It should be out on all the streaming services. I also have servantmarketer.co.co where I blog. The podcast lives there. I also collect on every episode what I call servant marketing snacks. So they're resources that people recommend for others to check out. Um, so I have a little library I'm growing there. Servant Marketer can be found at Servant Marketer on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. People are also free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'll put all this in the show notes too, so you can go ahead and find that from, from the link there. Great. Well, thank you. When I started the podcast back in March, you were on my list. And oh. uh, I was like, well, you know, I'm thinking this angle, that angle. And then when the podcast came up, I listed some episodes like, yep. Okay, now we Oh, have... awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that support. It's a uh, yeah, like it's terrifying putting yourself out in the world like this, but it's also like kind of exhilarating, so. Yeah. No, I really enjoy it and I, I yeah, wish you luck with the masters and the doctorate or two or three. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs>